Ebullient greetings. I'm your host, Jackie Bird of Jackie Bird Spiritual Wellness, your guide to stress and anxiety relief, mindfulness, awareness, self-care, self-love, and personal growth. Welcome and thank you for joining me as we roll with peace in mind. Today's riff is Are You On The Right Train? Riding On The Urge. These episodes feature people who are doing their thing, they follow their heart and their passion, and they create how they want, what they want, when they want, and they are riding on the right train. Today's spotlight is Jennifer Jones, the first African-American Radio City Music Hall Rockette, a colon cancer survivor, an advocate, a writer, and actor. I just like seconds ago stared upon this gorgeous woman that I have not seen in oh 30 35 35 oh my gosh and you know thank god for social media that's the only way that we've been able to see each other connect and grow but we haven't had a conversation now that we've like gushed and everything and little tears and and stuff I am so grateful that you are here and that you have taken time to talk with us and share your journey. Please introduce yourself and tell us where you are from. My name is Jennifer Jones. I'm from West Orange, New Jersey, and I am the first African-American Radio City Music Hall Rockette. And bam, 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 bam. (laughs) And you know what? I think that the last time, around the last time that we saw each other, you told us that you had gotten this job. So folks, y'all heard of the Rockettes, the world-renowned Rockettes. In the 1980s, what year was that, Jen? It was 1987 that I was hired. Yeah. There had been no African-American Rockettes in the history of Rocketing. There yeah. had been none, zero zilch, nada. So the last time I saw you was around the time that you shared that with us. And what was so cool is that we were on that journey with you. Yes. And we were bouncing around on the hardwood, trying to get a job, right? Trying to get a gig. Yeah. And young dancers, singer, actresses, wannabes. And um, well, by that point, though, I had been touring and stuff. So I mean, we were we were in the throes of our career at that point. But I remember just the excitement of the process where you were auditioning, and it was like you were still in the running, and then. <laughs> And then you told us you got it. Can you just take us through the beginning of that process to the actual you are hired? Yes. So Broadway Dance Center was and Frank Hatchett have such an impact on um, forming my my career, learning the business, the people who were there. You, Sharon Wong, um, Sheila Barker. Um, everyone there really kind of like shaped me and taught me the ropes of how to audition, what to wear, you know, how to dance, 
you you were doing Frank Hatchett's warm ups, you know, I remember and just those warm ups were everything to me, you know, how to take care of your body, how to dance, point your toes, all those little nuggets. So I remember it was in the room at uh, Broadway Dance Center where we all, would all hang out. Yeah. And we were going through backstage, looking at <laughs> yes. all the auditions. The trade paper, <laughs> yes, backstage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw they were auditioning for the Rockettes and I kind of blew by it. My parents brought me up on Broadway. I saw The Wiz five times. My parents loved Pippin. They were, you know, avid Broadway people, but I had never seen the Rockettes. Um, and I really didn't know much about them, what they did or anything. So I, I blew by it. And some of the gals that were sitting there said, Jennifer, you should go to this audition. You would be perfect. Apparently they had known the Rockettes, but I did not. And I was like, mm, I don't know. I don't, I don't really think I'm going to go because I was going to be a Broadway star. So the, the morning of the audition came. And I just woke up and I just had this feeling that said, Jennifer, go. I was always wow. nervous at auditions, um, very intimidating. I, I didn't feel I did well because for me, retaining choreography always took an extra day for mm -hmm. it to like really settle in my body. Um, so I wasn't really good at uh, auditioning. So that morning I got up and went, the audition was at 10 o'clock and I got there around 9.30. <laughs> and the line was wrapped around the music hall. And I'm looking at my watch because there were no cell phones at the time. And, right. it was, you know, going towards 11 o'clock and Frank Hatchett was having his 11 o'clock jazz <laughs> class. And I was <laughs> like, oh, I'm missing his class. <laughs> Maybe I should just go to his class. Um, but I said, you know, I'm in New York to work as a dancer and I have to get rid of these nerves and having this line of beautiful women, you know, to dance with, you know, will surely help me. So I waited in the line and they were calling in groups of maybe 20 or 25 yeah. to go into the small rehearsal hall to warm up before you went into the large hall to um, actually audition. So I'm in the, the little rehearsal hall and the stage manager comes up and he says, all right, fill out these little comp cards. And when I ask for them back, um, have your picture and resume and your tap shoes in your hand. We don't want your tap shoes on because you have to get measured first. So finally he called my name in a group of 10 and I did not have a picture and resume. <laughs> and I did not have tap shoes. Um, but I went along and I made the height re requirement cut and I put on my character shoes. That was the only thing I had. And the choreographer at the time was Violet Holmes. She did not teach in sequences of five, six, seven, eight. She taught in sequences of bedidly dee, bedidly da, bedidly dee, da. <laughs> But a lot of people, choreographers, you know, we do sound. You know, we do we do sounds. So like the kids that I work with, they start they they will do me. Like if I give a move that I you know I really want to accent, I go, then I have like 80 kids going, but that's how you remember and get the choreography into your body 
faster, I think, than actually counting. Absolutely, absolutely. And also great naming, you know, parts of, you know, like a 32 count, like a circle of kicks, you know, and you know the choreography for that. And then you go into, you know, the soldier or something. So little names like that also helped me. But at this audition, I was not prepared for not having counts. So um, I made it through the audition. Of course, we had to do eye high kicks and can can kicks because they were uh, hiring for Super Bowl and the Cheetah Rivera tour. So they, wow. you know, there were two different uh, shows that they were hiring for. So they said thank you. I went to the back of the room to pick up my bag and get changed. And the stage manager came up to me. He said, Jennifer. We're giving you a call back. Bring your tap shoes and bring your picture and resume. Oh my God. So, this was back in the day where I didn't have a computer and I didn't have anything. So I I was living in New York at the time. I went back home to Jersey, found an old modeling headshot from uh, high school. Oh. Yeah, they're uh, a resume and went back to the callback. So at the callback, of course, there weren't as many women, but I do remember one other Black woman being there. She was a Broadway girl. I was dating someone at the time who they were doing the same show and I had met her before. And she was looking at me kind of competitively, but yeah, I she's didn't- trying to stare you down. Yes, but I did not know that they were searching for a Black woman. I did not know the history of the Rockettes. I knew nothing. So she knew with her being in that, you know, that groove of knowing right. you probably had an agent and everything. Mm -hmm. She knew that they were looking for a Black girl. I just kind of like did my thing and I left. And I guess it was a, a few months later I walked into the apartment and the phone was ringing and I rarely answered the phone. Um, and I, I usually let it go to, it was a voice recording. Mm -hmm. um, but this time I decided to answer it wow. and I picked it up and she said, hi, Jennifer, this is Violet Holmes. And I was oh. not expecting it. And she said, I'd like to offer you the Super Bowl halftime show. And I got nervous and I broke out in a sweat and I said, can I call you back? <gasps> Are you kidding me? No, I was like, I got nervous. I, you know, I was 18 years old, 19 years old. I was just, so I called her back a half hour later and I said, yes, of course, I, I'd love to do the Super Bowl halftime show. And it was my first professional job aside from doing videos and, and some modeling jobs. So this was like on a grander scale. So it kind of gave me that jolt of, you know, this is, this is happening. So I signed on to do it, and a few nights later, I was up watching the 11 o'clock news, and Sue Simmons came on and said, Radio City Music Hall has just hired their first African-American dancer as a Rockette. And I said, hmm, I wonder who that is. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't say anything to me. They didn't tell me. They oh. told me nothing. My mother called me and she said, Jennifer, is that you? I said, I don't know. Nobody said anything um, to later find out that it was me and I was thrown into media training and publicity events and and talking about, you know, the Rockettes and, and the hiring me as the first African-American woman.
So um, you had to do a lot of catching up in terms of history and learning about the Rockettes and everything. I did. I did try, but a lot was hidden from me. And I was so busy at the time that, and the founder was still alive. Wow. So there was a lot going on. There were some people who were very happy that the line was getting revamped. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but there were people who did not want me there and they made it clear. And some of those people were in the publicity department who could take advantage of making me look not so good in a certain type of light. Wow. But, but on the other hand, there were people who were happy mm-hmm. to see, you know, finally. Finally. How many years had it been before they hired you? So the Rockettes were founded in 1925 in St. Louis, Missouri. Russell Market, he wanted a line of women who looked like the Tiller Girls. It, it came off of an idea from the Tiller Girls. And he wanted the line of having all these women look like one dancers doing the mm-hmm. same choreography and end with a kick line. And he thought that having a woman of color on the line would distract and it would not look like all one dancer. The Rockettes' home, Radio City Music Hall, became their home in 1932. So that's where they get the name Radio City Music Hall Rockettes. But they were founded in 1925, but their home was established in 1932. So he was alive and he still did not want a woman of color on the line. And it was his 90th birthday party. And a lot of the Rockettes were going and even some of the new hired Rockettes, newly hired Rockettes were going to go, but I was not invited. So he was still like in this mindset of thinking that this was going to distract and, you know, bring the line down. I think, I don't, I can't speak for him, but that's my thought process. Mm-hmm. One of the ladies in the media department um, and, you know, going on to a line of 36 women who have been there for about 25 years. They have their family. They know the choreography. They know how to do the kick line. They know all the lingo. And for me coming in, I had to a lot of catching up to do. There were two things that really stood out to me at 19 and being thrown into this trailblazing position and you know being rep, you know representing other women and you know opening doors um she said don't worry about media mm-hmm. we'll wait till you feel comfortable with the choreography then have them come into rehearsal so you know you can get a good feel of what what's going on the first day i was sent into a costume fitting and that took about 45 minutes and then I came back, there was media right in front of me. Oh my goodness. And not only did I learn just a little piece of the combination, they went on to do, you know, like 32 more counts. And it was, and I could tell the, the people, the media, they just, you know, were so embarrassed to even be there. They real, their heart really went out to me and they knew that, um, I was feeling embarrassed and, you know, they probably think that I don't know what I'm doing and, mm-hmm. but they real, but they did get a good shot. The media did go over well and mm-hmm. they put me in a very good light. 
And the second thing that really stood out to me was the Super Bowl uh, halftime show was being held in San Diego. And so we had to fly out there and that's about, I don't know, five and a half, six hour Mm -hmm. flight. I'm trying to like, you know, get to know some of the ladies and I'm, you know, friends with, you know, some of the newly hired Rockettes and we're thinking as soon as we get off the plane, we'll put the bags in our room and then we'll go grab something to eat and we'll have fun and enjoy this. The publicity uh, director's assistant came up to me and said, as soon as we land, she wants to see you in her hotel room. So I get off the plane and I went out to get something to eat. I was young, everybody's going, and I just went. I get back to the hotel and the assistant is pacing back and forth in the lobby. He's like, he wants, she wants to see you right now. I go up to the room, she's up there, and she says, nobody cares about you. <gasps> Your old news, nobody cares about you, that's it. And this was even before I had more publicity to do. This was before the performance at the Super Bowl where there's millions of people, not only in the stadium, but watching. And this was said right before everything was about to happen. So was she meaning that they weren't going to give you any more publicity? No, I- What was her point? No, because I did, I still did do a lot of publicity. Okay. I think she was trying to get into my head saying, your old news, you know, this is, you know. So she was being a bitch. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And and the thing about it was, is that that stayed with me. I carried, Mm -hmm. you know, that for a very long time. I thought, I really thought nobody cared. I really thought that it didn't matter because this woman at Radio City Music Hall who knows publicity, knows the people, Mm -hmm. she's telling me that I'm old news and people are moving on and you know, it doesn't matter. I carried that for a very long time. How did you, wow, honey, I had no idea. (laughs) I That was what was going on and happening to you because um, those of us back at Heinz Hatchet Broadway Dance Center, we would have had your back to the best of our ability in terms of, of raising you up. Because, you know, the, the thing about the folks that, like you and people that were, you know, considerably younger than us, we looked out for you guys. You guys were like our babies. And we felt very protective about you guys. And um, if we had known about that, oh my gosh, you know, I we would have had a fit. For one thing, we would have had a fit. I don't know, you know, we didn't, like you said, we didn't have social media at that time to be able to go and blog about it, you know, but I think that it would not have boded well for them in a way because word would have gotten out. And they had a reputation they were personifying out to the the media. So the word would have gotten out. And like I said, it wouldn't have boded very well for them in, in some regard. They would have had to try to, push that down. Right, right. All right, so that stayed with you for a very long time. How did you get past that? Hmm. Well, you know, to be honest with you, I still think that creeps in every now and then. And I think that so much so that it it made me feel so low that it even crept into relationships mm-hmm. that I chose to be in. Yes, and I uh, understand. Yeah. So I it's amazing what one person can say that has yes. no attachment to me, 
you know, can affect you. you but know? you had her up here and you yeah. were here. She yeah. was this all powerful publicist and you were just a newbie. Yes. So she carried a lot of power to you. Yes. In terms of what she could do. Anybody tells you they can basically make or break you. That's basically the messaging. Yes. And, and you know, that's how people like that get over because they mm -hmm. keep you, they help to keep you in your place. Yes. And, and I also think that that's why the industry loves young people because they can mold you and push you around and mm -hmm. uh, because you don't know anything. And then you're right. also so gaga about having the opportunity. Yes. You'll do whatever. Yes. So yes. it's easy to mold people and push them into the places that you want them to be in. But I think also some of that messaging that we as women deal with, be mm -hmm. it from our mothers or, you know, aunts or whomever gives us these messages that we're less than, we spend a lot of time dealing with that. And the repercussions right. are relationships. They, they, it creeps into every area of our lives. But the thing is, you're aware of that. In hindsight now, looking back and seeing that you've gotten, you know, drove you into some relationships yeah. because you had that mentality, you're in a different place now, yes? Yes, yes. So one of the things that whenever I start to feel that, I, I look at myself and I say, I'm allowed to shine and I don't have to dim my light to bring somebody else up or make somebody else shine. Please say that again. Please, please just say that again. There's someone that's going to listen to this and that's listening and they will need it. Please say it again. I've decided not to dim my light and let my light shine. And I think there's room for everyone to have their light and they should let it shine because I thought I had to dim mine to make you feel better, you know? But there's room for all of us. All of us have gifts, all of us. And that's the beauty of it. I got really tired putting myself down to make mm. everybody else feel better. Mm. Sometimes that's not accepted. Some people, you know, don't like me for it or they think, uh, you know, I'm boastful or, but I'm not. There's room for everyone. Yes. And that's what I love. Yes. That's what I love. I think that that is the messaging that's not in society, that's not in our homes, that there is room for everyone. We are basically brought up with lack mentality. Yeah. And we think that we have to fight for everything and there are people better than us and you know, you're in competition and all of this and and that mentality, yeah, there are people that uh rise in terms of if you if you're measuring it in terms of success and level and all of that but a lot of these people are really miserable <laughs> right and right and so right you know it, it really comes down to the quality of life and if you understand that there is room for everyone the billions of people on this planet yes there is room for everyone yes. that is we are living in an abundant universe yes but we are taught differently and that can keep you in your place also because you're st always cowering because you think you have to scrap for everything yes. <laughs> and compete with everybody. And it's like, no, 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 no. And I, and like you said, I think people think, you know, 
success in levels in money and and they don't think about it is what is it true that that makes me happy what fulfills me you know what are my gifts um, and not everyone has the same gift or the same way of giving what they have so whenever I feel like that conversation creeps back in mm -hmm. I always remember she's not allowed to dim my light and no one else is either. See, I'm I'm like, yes, 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 Diva. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the gold and those are the riches. Because it just makes you walk with a lighter footprint on the earth when you right. are walking in your light. And if you don't know what your light is, then ask questions of yourself. What do I love to do? Yes. What is inspired? You know, what am I inspired? Who inspires me? Why do these people inspire me? It's not just that you're going, well, you know, they got a big house, a lot of cars and a right. lot of this and that and the other. It's like there's got to be an intangible essence yes. that reaches you because the heart doesn't understand cars and money and houses. The heart understands joy and love and, and peace and feeling good. So what, how do these people inspire that in you? Right. And Those high vibrational feelings, that high vibration. Yes. I, and you know, when you're in sync with the universe, when you get that vibration, that, that tingly, that, that you know that you are on the right path, that gut feeling, that intuition, that is all alignment. Yes. And I know when I'm out of it and I know when I'm in it. Oh boy. And you know, the interesting thing is, you know, somebody may listen to this and go, well, you had a rough time, your rockhead ordeal or journey, but you followed an intuition and you acted upon that intuition. And that intuition led to you being who you are right now with the messaging and the, the frequency that you're on right now, that lesson and that those experiences were valuable in your makeup and in your fiber. You know, it's not always going to be joyful when you follow your intuition, but ultimately it will right. be. And that's the... And that's mm, the thing. You have, sometimes you have to step out of your comfort zone for growth, for personal growth, for um, following what you want to do with your life. Like I knew I wanted to dance and I knew I was missing Frank Hatchett's class, but something said, <laughs> stay in that line, uh, you know? Yes. So... Yes. Um, there is, you know, always like moving forward for me, I always like to like move forward the growth, the growing process. And it is, you know, sometimes scary of stepping out of my comfort zone, actually yes. letting people know of my experiences mm -hmm. of becoming the first black rock hat. Um, and even though there, those negative experiences happened. They did help form who I am. And I was able to mm -hmm. open the door for other women of color to be able to follow their dreams, to become a rockette, wow. to dance on Radio City, at Radio City Music Hall, to tour the country. All these women of color have these jobs, you know, and follow of doing what they want to do. You know, sometimes we get to a place of, I don't know what my purpose is. That was one of your purposes. You opened the door for so many women after you. And golly, wow. Yeah. Golly, wow. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about, you've talked about some of the challenges that were in front of you as the first black rockette. 
Talk about some of the joys mm. and the victories, triumphs in that experience. I will never forget the first time I stepped onto that Radio City Music Hall stage. After the Super Bowl, I wasn't guaranteed to come back and dance on the line, but they did ask me back to for the Christmas show that, that year in 1988. So that was my wow. first uh, Christmas show there. And the first time the Radio City, the Rockettes had a woman of color dance on that stage as a Rockette in that line. I remember it was during tech and we were doing the kick line full out. And I just remember looking out in the house and seeing this gorgeous theater that seats 6,000 people. And it kind of jolted me. It took my breath away. The woman next to me, she's like, You're, are you okay? And I said, yeah. She's like, the first time will always take your breath away. So she knew what I was looking at and what I was feeling. And that moment, I will never forget. It was amazing. Simply amazing. Just extraordinary. I think Radio City is the most beautiful theater I've ever performed in. A historic landmark in New York City. It has the Carol Stairs, the Passerelle. It has moving elevators, a turntable. And the design was made to feel like you were in a sunset. It's just the coloring, the way the carpet is put in. They redid all the chairs and the contour. They have two organs that play during the Christmas show uh, 15 minutes before and 15 minutes after. It's just a beautiful, beautiful place. That's, that is pretty, pretty awesome. So how long were you on that line? I was a Rockette for 15 years. And wow. during that time, um, I was able to have two children and a leave of absence. Uh, it was a rostered position. So at that time, women could take maternity leaves and then come back and have their place on the line, take a leave of absence if they had to take care of a family member or if they were ill, and then come back and have their place on the line. You had full-time benefits. As wow. I was leaving Madison Square Garden, Jim Dolan bought the Rockettes and he broke the wow. roster. So now the women have to audition every year. There's no job security. Oh, wow. There's no maternity leave. There's no leave of absence. Oh, yeah. Wow. So I, the rostered, some of the rostered girls fought to keep that roster in line because as a line of women, you need it, you know? Yes. Um, but he broke it and at that time i was on a leave of absence i was doing 42nd street on broadway but i still went and i picketed and i you know was talking to the media about not breaking the roster but unfortunately it was broken you mentioned that you were doing 42nd street on broadway one of the most famous musicals to run on broadway ever 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 had you left the rockettes to take 42nd Street? Yes. So my last Rockette job was the inaugura inauguration of Bush Jr. in Washington, D.C. And actually on the train ride back, I got a call to audition for 42nd Street. So I went on that audition and I got it. And so I took a leave of absence for the Christmas show. I hadn't given up my spot yet. And during that time, that's when Jim Dolan decided to break the roster when I was at my first year on 42nd Street. After he broke the roster and my big mouth of trying to keep it, I was like, there's no way that he's gonna have me on this line. So that's when I decided to leave. Wow, what a turning point. Yeah. So from that point, 
turning point point from that point what you did 42nd street and then what happened after that did you do other broadway shows i did not i did 42nd street from beginning to end and that closed in 2005. at that point in my life my kids were very young they were about four and five and i was going through a horrific divorce so Ooh, know about that <laughs> i have one of those <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord oh. have mercy. <laughs> I know about those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I really had to take some time and focus on getting a nine to five job, um, getting some stability for my kids because, of course, auditioning does not pay the rent. And I was working, I was working at night and the weekends, and I really wasn't getting some time that I needed with the kids. So I decided to step out and focus on them and, and get a nine to five, which was which was not easy for me at all because I went to a two-year college, but I did not get my associate's degree. I don't have a four-year college degree. So not having college education, I really had to work my way up the ranks and that was very difficult. What type of work did you go into? I, was, uh, I went into administrative work and my first job was at a mortgage company and I was a front desk receptionist. And again, I have the little voice in my head that's saying, you know, you're old news, nobody cares. So this is still all going on. Like I'm washed up, you know, nobody really cares, you know, about my dancing career that I was the first. So, you know, I still had like all these conversations going on. I got a job at this mortgage company and then the mortgage bubble started hitting. And, and it was yes, a very- Yeah, so it was a very small company and he was one of the first ones to feel it. So I was the first one to let go. And after that, it was just a series of getting a job here, then getting a job here, then getting a job here. There wasn't anything that was long lasting at all. And um, it was just piecing everything together. I had, you know, my mother to help me with my kids and my sisters. And so I did have a lot of family support, but job wise, it was, it was hard. But, you know, I always had that feeling in my heart is that I wanted to be on stage. I want to be in the industry. That has always mm. been, you know, my pull. And it will be for the rest yeah. of my life, you know. But at that time, I was just, trying to make it right you were surviving yes as you were doing that you still had this feeling within you as far as performing after that period what ended up manifesting for you hmm so after that i i always kind of like would look at auditions and see what's happening in the industry and things like that and then and then and then I finally said, I have a story to tell. I think people want to know about the first Black Rockette. I think people want to hear what I have to say. So I started working on writing a book. So I would start writing and then I would put it down and then I would start again and I would put it down. And so just constantly working on that. And then finally I, I had someone to help me 
And we started working together and, you know, she knew how to do the ins and outs of the book and we're working on that. And then I met someone who I worked on 42nd Street with who became a screenwriter. And so she's like, you know, we need to get your story out there. So in 2017, I went out to L.A. And we pitched my life story to several different networks and producers. We did get a lot of good feedback. However, they wanted to have a book in place. And I did not have a book deal. So I came back. It was December of 2017. And then in 2018, I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. So 2018 was just... um, getting my health back together. Mm. Yes. Vegetarian over 30 years, exercise every day, no family history of colon cancer. Mm. Wow. Stage three colon cancer. Had you had any symptoms, anything feeling a little off or? Well, I had just turned 50 and I thought, you know, maybe it's menopause, um, maybe I'm a little bit more gassy, a little bit more bloated, I'm under stress, maybe it's just stress, maybe it's IBS. Me? Right. Colon? Right. Are you really? Right. Vegetarian for 30 yes. years, exercise. Yes, yes. yes. It, it was a shock. And of course, I never planned to have medical expenses like that. Right. I had actually left my job to go out to LA. And the job that I had at the time was a very high stress job. And I thought maybe that was it. So when I came back, I did not have health insurance. I started uh, temping and I got work, you know, and I was working here and working there with this temp agency, but I did not qualify for benefits. And I knew I wanted to go see a doctor, but I couldn't. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I qualified, I signed in and I got a colonoscopy. Well, I should take you back. I, I went to see the doctor and I said, you know, I would really kind of like to be seen soon. I think something's wrong. She looked at me and she's like, you know, you, you seem like really healthy. Right. Two weeks later, I go for my colonoscopy. I don't know if you've ever had one. I hope you have. And I hope people who are 45 years old, you need to go get a colonoscopy. That's the age. If you do not have any symptoms, go have a colonoscopy now. After uh, coming out of the anesthesia, I was sitting there and um, she said, you have cancer and you have about five years. Oh my goodness gracious. I did not tell anyone. I didn't tell... Um, my boyfriend at the time, I did not tell my parents, my sisters, my children. We were planning a family vacation the end of June. My father lives in St. Croix. We were all planning to go, um, my sisters and their children. And my daughter and I, I have a son and a daughter. And my daughter had not been talking to me for a couple of years, but she was willing to go on this vacation. And this was going to be the vacation where we reconnect and start over and um, get through this. So I made sure it was the best vacation possible. And it was the last day of my vacation that I sat down with my family and I told them that I had cancer and I had five years, which is a lie. I have more than five years. I'm gonna be around for a very long time. And they said, you need to go to Sloan. So I made my appointment at Memorial Sloan Kettering and 
eight rounds of chemotherapy and one surgery later, I am cancer free. Okay, another moment I'm about to cry. All right. Um, oh boy, my stepmom had colon cancer. Oh, Jackie. Yeah, she was stage three. And um, she was in her late 70s. Oh. Yeah, and she had had other issues, high blood pressure, etc. But I'm telling you, that woman is, mm -mm -mm, she's something else. And uh, she's cancer free. Yes. And she, you know, has had some issues this year. But the thing that I have seen is her spirit and her intention. And how did you get through that period? I really had to sit down and get a good look at my life and figure out what is happening. And I realized that I was letting a lot of insignificant things get to me. And so I had to sit down and like, let that go and focus on what matters. What am I here for? What are my gifts? What do I want to do with my life? and heal my body. So that's what I did a lot more meditation, a lot more of white light therapy, you know, cleaning yes. my body and just, it really changed who I am. Um, and I'm a staunch advocate for early screening, detection. I'm a, a buddy with the Colorectal Cancer Alliance. I help other people who are going through chemotherapy treatments. And if they have questions or they, they need someone to talk to, you know, I'm on call. And of course, mm -hmm. if they ask me to be a part of an outreach, I'm, I always take part in that. It really changed my life. And I just recently had a colonoscopy last week and they said, I'll see you in three years. Colonoscopies save lives. A lot of people are afraid of the prep, but if you have no symptoms and are healthy, you can do a blood test in your doctor's office. You can do a home test. Um, there are different ways that make sure that you're healthy and you don't go through what I went through. So in doing all of that, I've written a children's book and Harper Collins has purchased it and it's currently being illustrated. I'm screaming. Okay, I'm screaming right now. I can't scream because I'll just, you know, distort the mic. But okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. Continue, my dear. So um, I'm hoping that'll be out in the fall of 2022. I'm currently writing my memoir still and that my agent will be shopping that within the next your agent, my dear. Yes. We have a, we have a book yes, agent. Yes, we have now. a literary agent, a book agent. Yes. Oh. So I'm working on that and some other little nuggets that I'm not really allowed to talk about yet. It's really allowed me to focus and really pursue what I want to do with my life. And for that, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for everything. You know, I'm, I'm really oh. grateful. I wake up every day and I say, thank you, God. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my job. Thank you for letting me follow my dreams. Thank you for my, you know, guiding me with my intuition. Thank my ancestors. You know, I know my grandma has been with me. I feel her spirit. So just wake up in a thankful way each morning. It's life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing. Once you get that gratitude shift and you really feel it, it's life-changing. 
woman, lady, sister, friend, thank you. My goodness, you have dropped pearls, jewels, money, <laughs> riches, gold, <laughs> Bitcoin. You have just dropped <laughs> so much wisdom. And thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Oh, my God. Thank you for thank having you. me. Thank you so much. And it's been such a pleasure just watching you flourish and with your business and your meditations and being on the news. <laughs> the world needs more of this, needs more of you. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. I'm a cry. <laughs> thank you, honey. Oh, yeah. goodness gracious. <laughs> I hope that you enjoyed that and was thoroughly, thoroughly inspired and uplifted by what you heard. If you are in a situation currently that is unfulfilling to you, be it a job or a career you've been pursuing, and you feel like there's something else that you really want to do or you already know what that is, get quiet. Sit still, breathe in and out deeply, and begin to envision what that is that you wish to create. And remember, there's nothing too big. It's only small ideas. Think big and write that down. What is it that you wish to create? Write it down, put it in your phone, speak it out loud to people that are supportive of you and go for it, go for it. Don't delay, start now, even if you plot in your mind what your escape plan is going to be, but go for it. This life is meant to be lived to the fullest. Take advantage, no matter what is happening in your life right now, there can always be room to create more. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to visit JackieBirdSpiritualWellness.com. Join my mailing list. I have audiobooks, guided meditation videos, and audio and meditation music, everything for inspiration and to help you relieve stress, increase your mindfulness and awareness and presence. And remember to always roll with peace in mind.